Howdy ho, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Rebel Starbuck with you once again this week on Shooting the Shizat. My co-host Dylan Broda. Dylan, what's happening? Yeah, we got a wrestling world here this year. Let me tell you, every single week there is stuff going down. Shizat to be shat or shizatted. Have we made up a word for that yet? I don't know. But this is going to be an awesome episode. I'm really looking forward to it because who do we got on the horn just in a few minutes? We have uh, the promoter of OTT Over the Top Wrestling out of Dublin, Ireland. Uh, One of the top companies in the pro wrestling business. If you look at the numbers that they're doing, they are doing like incredible business right now. They have been rising like nobody's business over the past few years. They And they use guys like Minoru Suzuki from New Japan. Other New Japan guys have been there. I think Jushin Liger was just there. Um, they've had uh, the, the NXT guys there, Trent Seven, for example. Now they got a, a show just coming up now, just, uh, just around the corner. Um, yeah. And uh, Tyler Bates. They've had, um, uh, what's his name, the Bruiserweight Pete Dunne. So many of these guys. Walter, I guess. Walter, yeah, 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 the top European names. And I've got a surprise uh, also. It's a little bit of a tie into OTT to be uh, yeah, announced later on here this uh, the, on this week's Shooting the Shizat podcast. But we're talking about the guy that we're talking to today. His name is Joe Cabray. He is a professional wrestler himself and uh, also... He's been rather successful around... Uh, he's wrestled around, or all around the world. Um, yeah. I was with him... Two years ago, almost to the day, two years ago in Pakistan. All right. Yeah, and he wrestles under a mask as Omen. And, uh, yeah, it's like a demon character. All right, cool. And anyway, so we have Joe Cabray from OTT, Over the Top Wrestling, and we are talking about the rise, the astronomical rise of Over the Top in the past few years in in these wrestling wars or the wrestling world in general as... Now we are also uh, just on the eve of this huge AEW launch that's going to be happening at MGM Grand in Las Vegas in the USA for uh, AEW. That's all elite wrestling, which is going to shake the wrestling world because, Dylan, as we know, they they just signed a television contract deal that they uh, brought out to broad daylight, and it was all over the news now. The Turner Network is back in business in the wrestling business. They are back in the wrestling business, yeah. TNT drama picks up AEW. That's right, and I think everybody basically, um, I mean, that idea was pretty much in, in every way spoiled, but then again, it's pro wrestling, so anything can happen, so it is pretty exciting to hear the official uh, release, the f- official press statement, and... Uh, yeah, came out as we're recording this on a Thursday, beautiful Thursday evening with the sun blasting as we're in Helsinki, Finland here, and uh, on the Wednesday, just yesterday. And there's a little bit of a hubbub on the the internet about how to watch this show through the BR, uh, I guess it's the BR Live app that is owned by uh, the Turner Broadcasting, or at least the Time Warner people anyway. And what does BR stand for? Uh, I I just downloaded the the app. Let me uh, let me look it up actually. Uh, but um, either way, um, this BR Live is where you can watch it uh, if you don't have cable in the United States, and um, it's rather expensive. The Bleacher Report, yeah, I should. It is. That's the <laughs> thing, right? Uh, Bleacher <laughs> Report Live, BR B slash R Live. 
You can watch live sports online in the United States and Canada. This doesn't work elsewhere. We know that I think it's ITV that's going to be in the UK. That's right. Uh, that they're broadcasting this, and it's weirdly going to be cheaper. I think uh, about $10 or so cheaper than it is uh, to purchase the pay-per-view. Mm-hmm. In uh, in the UK than it is in the United States and Canada, and it's um, going at forty nine ninety nine on the BR the Bleacher Report live app, and uh, that's be- the price of a WrestleMania. Yeah, well, in a, in a lot of ways, I guess this is kind of like as important to them as a WrestleMania. But then I see it as you want to get as many eyes on this as you can. Yeah, I think it should be priced more. Uh, as at a premium than it than like a money in the bank pay per view, which I think is about ten bucks or something, and at least uh, you know you can get the get all those WWE things with the um, what is it ten dollars a month or so with the um, the network, and I guess this is kind of like their form. It's going to be their form of the network. This uh, kind of uh, BR live mm-hmm. uh, thing, and um, where you can watch this, I guess, whenever. But if you purchase this pay-per-view for $49.99, then uh, on the BR Live app, and I think it's maybe even $10 more expensive on actual cable pay-per-view. Wow. I'm not exactly, I think it might be one way or the other, $10 slightly cheaper or $10 more. The thing is that uh, this is into UFC territory, you yeah. know, and uh, is that maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that's what they're going for, but... My gut feeling is that is that's not uh, not how you should do it. Well, the thing is that I'm not sure if they have that much firepower behind that entire double or nothing event that that justifies a fifty dollar price tag for just pay per view. Uh, yeah. You know, they got some big marquee matchups. Yes, you know, like the the main event with Jericho and Omega. That's big. Uh, I guess Dustin Rhodes against his brother Cody Rhodes. I mean, that's it's significant. Um, and some of the other matchups, um, I'm not going to discredit anything there, but the thing is that, uh, on a national or international level, I'm not quite sure that all of those matches, uh, all put together in the same melting pot would, uh, lend way to, let's say a $50 price tag. Yeah. Well, here I got on a cagesideseats.com, the, uh, little bit of the details, but, um, Basically stating that wrestling fans are quite accustomed now to the nine ninety nine uh, per month, uh, I guess, with the WWE pay-per-view packages uh, where you get the network and all that jazz. Then here they're, they're hit with this forty nine ninety nine. As we said, pay, that's the pay-per-view price point. Uh, and then uh, the satellite platforms, if you, get, I guess, go through s- traditional cable or satellite, then it's $10 higher. So on that app, it's this forty nine ninety nine. So it's a lot of money because I mean, I would I would say I wouldn't want this to be any higher than like twenty five dollars. I think, and I think a lot of people would be com- still complaining about that mm-hmm. because the ticket prices for let's say all in mm-hmm. they were cheap, especially compared to like in in a way the significance of the event. My tickets were twenty eight dollars American. Really? And I had uh, upper balcony, but the seats were like phenomenal. Okay. I would rather sit up on the balcony than floor. I'm that kind of person because I think I get a better view, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, 28 bucks, that's, you know, nothing. 
And I think that uh, this uh, double or nothing wasn't so much more than that. I, I, I'm sure the ticket. I can't remember what the ticket prices were, but they weren't like crazy. You know, you're not paying like a thousand bucks for a front row uh, ringside. But um, but this this fifty nine or forty nine and then fifty nine with uh, with a satellite or cable. That's too much money, I think. Yeah. Well, I mean, the thing is that uh, I guess now at least AEW has so much hype that maybe that hype is going to justify people buying tickets or buying uh, that pay-per-view ticket uh, at that price, maybe just for the novelty of their first time out. You know what I mean? It's like, Possible. because all in, okay, that was kind of like, well, it was pre-AEW, but it was still, you can, can you can almost consider that to be AEW, right? I, I would say so, yeah. yeah. So, but, but this is like the first big launch with uh, even bigger hype. Yeah. So therefore, yeah, let's see what happens. First time out. Uh, they're going to show their colors. Yeah, and I and I think this also has a lot more to do with uh, the Turner, this BR Live and, and Warner and all those people that are, these are the ones making this price, although I would assume that uh, AEW would have a say in it. But maybe they, they need them to prove it. And hopefully this is not the pay-per-view price tag that, uh, you know, that will then follow for all of their events. You know, if this is their WrestleMania, if it turns out to be their WrestleMania, mm-hmm. I guess if you're just going to do a one-time buy, you know, I don't know, maybe it can be justified there. But um, I uh, maybe they're testing the waters too. They're seeing, uh, you know, can we actually make money out of this show in terms of the network? Yeah, you know? that's right. But yeah. But anyway, so that this week uh, we will be talking to Joe Cabray, the promoter from... OTT, Over the Top Wrestling. They have a big show coming up now this month on May 26th in Belfast, Ireland, called Banjaxed. Yeah, i got to uh, ask him what the heck that means. Yeah, exactly. It's got to be some local uh, lingo. But uh, anyway, they've got some names on this show. they got Trent Seven and um, Tyler Bate, Mustache Mountain from NXT. They have um, former WWE Tag Team Champion Rene Dupre. If if those of you who will remember from about 2005-ish, they were, or he was part of this team called uh, La Renaissance. That's right. And uh, they have also from NXT UK, Jordan Devlin. He's a champion in OTT right now. Not quite sure what championship he holds, but anyway, he's going to be in action. Also, Walter, the current NXT UK champion, he's going to be there. And um, in addition to that, we've got uh, David Starr, one of the top independent names in professional wrestling today, also on the show. Anyway, well, we're just going to go to our sponsors for just a second. So stay in there or hang in there. <laughs> stay in there. Yeah. Anyway, and stay uh, we'll, in the box. Stay in the box. Just yeah, just stay. <laughs> as my wife would say to the dog, stay a colo in Ro- in Romanian. <laughs> anyway, we'll be back with Joe Cabre after a word from our sponsors. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to try something new with the song of the week. Today we have brand new off the press, Stoner Kings, came out just yesterday. The album is called Alpha Male. Here's a sample of the track, Fucked A.D.
Skip is the oldest sports supplement brand out of Europe since the 1970s. Engineered by professors, doctors, and scientists at Sweden's leading medical university, Karolinska Institute, Skip products are pharmaceutical grade, meaning that they are the highest quality available on the market today. Meaning they work. If you're after results, you wouldn't put low-octane gas in a turbocharged high-end sports car engine, would you? Neither would you put junk-quality supplements into your body as an athlete. All Skip products are first tested amongst top athletes to ensure their efficiency. Choose the best. Skip Nutrition. That's skip.fi. S-K-I-P dot F-I. Red Skull Hot Sauce. Fiery sauce focused on flavor. Made by a Canadian in Helsinki. Awesome sauce in a sweet-ass skull bottle. That's Red Skull Hot Sauce. R-E-D-D Skull Hot Sauce. On Facebook and Instagram. Are you looking to boost your social media game to the next level? Then go to at Earl Creative Media on Facebook and Instagram for an affordable, professional, creative content provider that can suit your needs. That's Earl Creative Media on Facebook and Instagram. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back with you on Shooting the Shizat, and we have got Joe Cabray, Joey, all the way from Ireland, Dublin, Ireland on the line. Joey, how you doing? Great. How are you guys? Hey, we're hanging in there, man. It's... uh. It's starting to heat up finally here in, in Finland. It's been a really cold uh, spring, and I, I tell you what, today is like bright and sunny. It's warm. It's nice, so it's a, it's a good day to call you. Yeah, it's same here. We had some uh, terrible weather, but it's uh, it's all starting to turn around here in Ireland as well. We're, we're finally getting some sunshine. Right on. So uh, we're talking to you today because the rise of OTT, over-the-top wrestling, in the wrestling world, especially here in Europe, you guys have done so damn well as a company. I mean, your your business has grown as, like astronomically um, as, as I've been following your business over the past few years. And uh, your production values, they're right up there. And uh, the talent that you guys use, they're top-notch guys. Uh, you've done something right. Now, in a nutshell, tell me, what what have you guys done right? Um, I suppose it's, first off, in Ireland, we're kind of lucky that we have a lot of great wrestling talents. Um, for such a small country, we have a, a small population, but we've produced uh, quite a number of, of great talents. Um, and then I suppose it just goes back to my uh, American Wrestling Rampage days. Um, so I used to promote shows around Europe as well. And uh, kind of just seeing what goes into big level production shows. Um, we were doing shows in Paris in front of like 5,000 people. So kind of looking at the production that those guys used and kind of seeing as to how I could incorporate into uh, wrestling back home in Ireland um, was, a bi- was a big part of it as well. The knowledge I supposedly, that I suppose I gained from uh, doing those big tours around um, France and Germany was, um, was quite valuable. The thing is, I remember I was with you two years ago now, almost to the day we were in Pakistan on that tour for, um, what was it, uh, the name of the company, the Pakistan Wrestling Entertainment? 
Yeah, P- yeah, P- yeah. PWE, yeah. Uh, I guess now they're called Ring of Pakistan. But uh, anyway, the thing is, I remember I asked you then about those tours that you just mentioned back in the day for that American Wrestling Rampage. Let's backtrack to that. Uh, tell yeah. the people exactly what years we're talking about and who who was on those tours and who who did you do those tours with? In other words, you, you were working with somebody. Yeah, so essentially around 2008, um, I was working with an internet. I was working with an entertainment company, and they had contacts with uh, other big entertainment companies in Europe. And uh, essentially, it was my job to create a wrestling show, and those shows were then sold to uh, kind of local promoters and markets around France and uh, Germany. We went to Romania, we went to uh, Bulgaria, we went to Switzerland. And uh, that's essentially how it happened. So we'd create a show and maybe be on tour for maybe two weeks, uh, visiting all these towns around Europe. Um, but uh, the talent that I suppose was was on those shows, I mean, from the indie guys, you would have had, uh, you know, Pac, Adrian Neville, mm-hmm. um, Generico, uh, Sami Zayn. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, if, like a whole host of uh, former WWE guys from, Brett Hitman Hart down to Psycho Sid to to Tonka to Mari Gennetti, um to then just some good kind of like solid workers like Joe Legend and Gangrel and mm-hmm. and guys like that. So it was such a wide mix of guys that we'd have on those tours. We even had like Mexican minis on the tour at one point. So it was a uh, it was quite a special bus that was driving around with this these collection of uh, such a weird group of people, I suppose. Sounds like a absolutely crazy time, but uh, Dylan over here, Joey, I just wanted to ask you about, like, I guess the the start of uh, over the top wrestling, where you kind of it seems as though you guys were hitting more of the eighteen plus crowd, at least at the beginning. I mean, I know now you're doing all ages shows, at least, but um, was that kind of part of the, I guess, tactic? What you tried to, how you tried to like slide in to be different from everything else in Ireland at the time? Yeah, I think it was kind of a contrast. I mean, I think there'd been a lot of wrestling fans who had kind of given up on wrestling because the the leader being WWE was was tied into so many kind of uh, PG contracts. You know, they had contracts where they were never going to push the envelope like they used to in the Attitude Era. So I thought there was a whole generation of wrestling fans that kind of got lost, you know, left behind. So we were kind of, our idea was to kind of make a brand that was a little bit more edgier Um it's not like that anymore. We don't feel we have to be that edgy group anymore. Now we can just kind of rely on promoting, you know, some of the best wrestlers from around the world. So um, we still do over 18 shows uh, from time to time because, you know, there's alcohol involved and stuff like that. But um, for the most part, we just kind of do shows that, you know, everyone can enjoy. And we don't really feel that there's a need now to kind of just corner that 18 and over market. I mean, our wrestling shows now are just... Uh, I'm kind of proud of the fact that you can take kids to our shows. There's nothing in them that um, that I wouldn't bring my kids to, you know, when when I finally have kids. It wouldn't be something that I'd avoid. Um, our wrestling shows are kind of very, um, very fan-friendly, I suppose. So in the beginning, uh, explain that. Like, so how were your shows more edgy in the beginning? Um, I mean... W- I suppose it was just we tried to do whatever WWE at the time was doing was the opposite, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, as I said, I mean, the Attitude Era was such a massive time for WWE. Um, it was probably one of their biggest times in, in, you know, probably the last, you know, 20, 30 years. Mm-hmm. Um, so I suppose our storylines, for one, um, would have been a lot more um, 
adults aimed we would have done storylines that would have been um more relatable to uh, an older audience uh some of our characters as well were kind of more um aimed at a, a, an older audience as well you know like kind of if you take the session up martina gimmick you mm-hmm. know for an example of what came out of the early days of ott mm-hmm. um here's a girl that you know essentially parties all night, wakes up with a hangover and is just waiting until six o'clock till she can go back out and drink again. So that was kind of like the idea of the characters that we had. They were kind of aimed towards a bit more of a, an adult audience, I suppose, at the time. Right, right. So uh, yeah. when you, when was it that you started personally in the pro wrestling business? Um, so there's, there's a much debate over this. Um, I, we, we were all talking about it, myself, Regal, and, and Fifth Finley. Um, so for me, uh, maybe about 15 years ago, there wasn't any pro wrestling in, uh, in, in, in Ireland. There might have been some stuff going on in the north of Ireland, mm-hmm. um, which is it's a separate country, essentially, but um, not in the Republic of Ireland. Right. So there was a local independent promoter who had tried to get set up but the issue was was that he was having to fly in a wrestling ring. He was having to fly in a referee. Essentially, everything was to be flown in because there was no scene here. Mm. And uh, after those shows, he was kind of like, you know, it's just not possible. We have to build a scene here. It's it's not possible to fly in an undercard, a mid-card, a main event, a referee, um, a ring. It just, the, the, the expenses was just too much. Mm-hmm. So that's around probably maybe 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, two wrestling schools opened up in Ireland and that was kind of like the start of pro wrestling in the Republic of Ireland and from that came uh, Finn Balor, Becky Lynch um, uh, Seamus um, myself uh, a couple of other guys as well even uh, you know on the on the local independent scene like guys like Madman Manson and stuff like that would have would have come through those very early wrestling schools uh, Paul Tracy as well would have been another one who have come through those very first wrestling schools. I remember actually back in the days of MySpace, before Seamus yeah. went to uh, WWE, <laughs> Seamus O'Shaughnessy or whatever his name was, he wrote me on MySpace. Yeah. yeah. That's it. But uh, so tell me something. Back, if you didn't have like a wrestling scene in Ireland, you started from scratch. Who were then the, who were the coaches in the early days? Uh, so uh, funny enough, there was two schools, so it would have been Finn Balor and Paul Tracy, uh, Finn Balor being Fergal Devitt. Mm-hmm. Um, those two guys went off, and they would have been trained by Hammerlock in the UK, mm-hmm. um, which would have been Andre Baker. Um, they kind of learned as much as they could, and they came back and set up their own school, um, just kind of on the outskirts of Dublin. And then uh, the guys that I was involved in, we would have found out that there was a guy from Cork in Ireland who went to train and trained with the hearts. Mm-hmm. Um, he was one of the last guys, one of the last few guys that was uh, being trained in the dungeon. Who was this? And he was a, uh, Blake Norton was his name. I'm not sure if you're too familiar no, with him. Never but, heard um, of him. Never heard of him. No. Yeah. So he would have, uh, he would have went to the state or sorry, he would have went to Canada and done some training with the, uh, with the hearts. I think his training was actually, he had somehow got a magazine to sponsor him and they were paying for his training and then he was writing articles about uh, training to be a pro wrestler in this magazine. I think that's how essentially he got his training uh, paid for, which was uh, quite interesting. But um, yeah, he would have came back and showed us like kind of uh, the basics of pro wrestling, I suppose. 
this it's really quite interesting. I mean, I, I was looking up um, uh, Irish pro wrestlers. I mean, not not like I guess um, kayfabe Irish pro wrestlers, but uh, you know, yeah. the actual ones born, bred, and even most likely trained over there yeah. with, with you guys. And um, it seems like there's the like the the quality, you know, the is just super duper high. And uh, as as you said, there wasn't much of a scene about 15 years ago. And, uh, you know, in Finland as well, uh, the scenes here is, it's there, it's quite small, but one of the, I guess, main criticisms that Finnish people have said that they have a hard time to get into wrestling is the, the age-old, you know, why would I care about fake fighting kind of uh, argument. And uh, to to explain about the whole culture and everything behind it takes a, a long time, but uh what I'm getting at, anyway, is that in Ireland, it's it's really known for, at least in Canada, everybody knows these tough Irish guys who, you know, get drunk and beat the crap out of you, however, you know, racist, I guess that could be yeah. these days. But uh, <laughs> that's, that's you know, this weird thing in the back of, of your mind that Irish people are tough and um, they're fighters, they make good boxers and MMA you know, kind of things. Uh, so in that kind of climate, a lot of the times pro wrestling seems to kind of take the wayside for a moment. It seems to die for a second, you know, when this um, mixed martial arts kind of takes over. Like in, same in Japan, there was that. Yeah, I mean, time. it did. It, it killed killed wrestling in Japan for a while, I suppose. So what is it, uh, What is what has happened now to the Irish people that, uh, I mean, I've watched a lot of over-the-top uh, and the crowds are literally the most rambunctious, like as if you just filled the place with a bunch of lunatics in a very positive, complimentary way, because that's what I want to see from wrestling yeah. crowds. But what changed then to, to have this kind of response over there? Uh, I suppose you add some beer into the mix, which <laughs> which is a help. But I suppose as well, it's also given fans uh, storylines that they can believe in. Um which I think is missing a lot in pro wrestling. Um, just being able to create a, a storyline and uh, have people invested, I, I believe, is very, very um, important. So essentially, when I'm kind of looking at booking OTT, I try and avoid as much as I possibly can um, booking matches that are cold. You know, So essentially, uh, just putting two random guys or girls or four random guys or girls together in a match, for me, I, I think the idea of trying to make a great wrestling show is trying to have interest in as many of the matches that you put on as possible. So, uh, you know, we, we, we try and put a lot of our focus into building storylines um, recording a good level of, uh, of promo that gets people invested in the, in the characters, I suppose. And uh, that's really it. I mean, I always use the analogy that of, uh, if I'm walking out of a nightclub, one night and I see two guys rolling around the, the floor killing each other. I might just kind of look at it and go, Oh, what are those guys doing? But if I walk at a nightclub and I see that it's a, a friend of mine is rolling around on the ground or somebody that I used to know or something like that, well then I'm, I'm kind of invested in what's going on now. You know, um, I have emotion about it. Do I want to help the guy on the floor? Do I want to separate it? Um, so I suppose that's a, a, a really big factor for us is to try and build matches that people have interest in or have a, a care for um, because um, 
hardcore wrestling fans will want to see great wrestling matches, but your casual wrestling fan, who is the majority of the fans who come to wrestling shows, mm -hmm. you have to give them a reason to care, I suppose. And that's a big focus on what we do in OTT. Uh, just out of curiosity, is it, so you're you're the big boss of OTT. Are you also the booker? Are you the guy that that writes out the storylines, or like what is your what, or who do you have doing that? Yeah, essentially, I uh, I do a lot of it myself, but it's my full time job, so um, it's it's not it's not too bad because you know it's all about um, time management, I suppose. But yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it's me booking flights, it's me looking at logistics, it's me booking venues, it's me writing the storylines, it's me overseeing um, the social media. Mm -hmm. um, but I suppose you know I'm blessed to be in a position where I can do this as a full time job. I mean, um. There's there's so many jobs out there, and I'm very privileged to be able to work in a business that I uh, adored as a, as a kid, and pretty much through my my uh, adult life as well, I suppose. So explain that for a second. So how were you able to make pro wrestling a full time job with OTT? Like like you started, it wasn't a job for you then when you started. How were you able to grow it into the business that it is now for you personally? Well, I suppose uh, I was at a crossroads. It was like, you know, I, I don't like to have regrets. I don't like to look back and go, oh, you know, maybe if this had happened or if I had to try a little bit harder. So I was kind of at a crossroads. And I kind of, as I said, I I mean, I pretty much do the majority of OTT um, stuff myself. But it was kind of like, am I going to try and make this a full-time living? Um, or am I going to try and keep it as a as a part-time job and, you know, just keep it ticking over? And I decided I was going to give it six months of my life, um, just, you know, working full time and, and, and trying to build a brand. And uh, in the end, so far, Tipwood, it's paid off. Um, it's good to kind of like see the rewards of of, of working hard and, and uh, seeing your brands, I suppose, uh, grow uh, every month. So do you have sponsors? Do you have other companies, uh, subsidiary companies that, that put money into it for you or with you? Or how do you, how is your business structured? That's the funny thing. Like, unfortunately, uh, sponsors in Ireland are not too um, kind of keen on pro wrestling, even though I think it's an amazing, uh, it's an amazing when you when you think about it, that you can have maybe 1,500 people to 2,000 people and they are all fixed on a 16 by 16 wrestling ring for the duration of the show. And you have the ability to put your sponsor there, your sponsor. But unfortunately we just, no one seems to want to put their logo on a pro wrestling ring. Um, but unfortunately, yeah, uh, I see it. It seems to be that in Europe, uh, companies are a lot more open to sponsoring pro wrestling, but in, in Ireland it's just, you know, it's just unfortunately not a thing. So um, we're completely self-funded. I think I told this story before, but uh, the very first OTT show that we put on, um, I already had a wrestling ring, uh, lucky enough. But the very first OTT show, I borrowed a projector screen and I made myself a budget that if 200 people came, I would have enough money to fund the next one. And lucky enough, 200 people came and we had enough money to fund the next show. And it just kind of steadily climbed and climbed and climbed. And then we kept investing money back in. Uh, we bought our own projector. Uh, finally, then we decided, like, you know, we're going to get a branded canvas, you know, get some branding out there, make sure people know that this is OTT wrestling. Um, and just built it from there, I suppose. Uh, completely built it from scratch. Um, unfortunately, no no investors um, 
just just working hard and and trying to make the show successful so that you have a little bit of profit to invest back into it i suppose yeah i mean congratulations because the the success is is really really obvious and and it was it seems to be quite fast i mean for for a lot of pro pro wrestling companies usually it's a hell of a struggle for quite a while so I mean, I really take my hat off to you for for going for gold here, and and it I think it's paid off. And um, being... yeah, it's just I, I'd hate to have I'd hate to sit back in maybe five years and go, you know, that OTT company I had, I could have probably done something if I had to work a little bit harder. So yeah, I fully um, fully understand that requests. perspective. Yeah. And so, <laughs> growing up uh, in Ireland and watching pro wrestling, wanting to be a pro wrestler. Who was it that you looked up to that that you know that you watched on TV back then? Kind of like your idol, who you wanted to be. It's Bret Hart all the way. Yeah, if right. you ask me if I'm a British Sean guy, it's it's Bret every time. And I was so lucky on those AW War tours as well to uh, you know share a tour bus with Bret Hart for you know two weeks at a time. And um, you know I remember walking around in Paris. Um, we just we we were on a day off and bumping into Bret, who was just sitting in a coffee shop and. You know, we just sat there and, and, and talked for, for two hours. But, you know, to kind of have a coffee with somebody that was your absolute, you know, hero as a kid was uh, was quite special. But, yeah, it would be Bret Hart. To me, Bret was just the the best there is, the best there was, the best there will be, I suppose. Yeah. What about uh, Dave Finlay? I mean, the, the, the Finlay family, is, they have very strong roots in Ireland. So was Dave one of those guys that you looked up to? Also? Yeah, but at the same, the same time... Um, Fitz family would be in the north of Ireland, which is, um, and at the same point also, uh, Fit would have been in WCW, and unfortunately, around that time we didn't have any uh, WCW on TV. So I would have actually found out about Fit Finley probably just from just magazines, right? And then probably when I started doing some tape trading and and, and buying tapes, uh, that's when I kind of started to see uh, more of Fit Finley and just been. In, you know, I suppose, because his style was so real. If he hit you, you you, you genuinely believed that that guy was being hit and hit hard. Um, yeah, just an amazing, an amazing performer. But Fit would have come along a, a lot later for me in terms of, um, in terms of just seeing exactly what he can do. It's great now that you have YouTube. You know, the young guys now don't know how great they have it because if we wanted to study wrestling, when we were uh, breaking in, you know, you had to try and find a tape trader who had a tape of that person and then wait two, three months for it to arrive. And then, you know, you'd hope that you got a good copy of it, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, but nowadays, everything is just at your fingertips on YouTube. That's it. Well, uh, yeah. Starbuck here has actually wrestled Fit Finley, uh, Dave Finley, I guess, in uh, in Japan. Yeah, back 2011. Yeah. yeah, that was... And I'll tell you what, I mean, he made you sure that... I mean, you knew that you were alive in that match. You know, it's like, yeah, <laughs> it's, uh, I, I learned so much inside of 16 minutes in the ring with Dave Finlay. I, I learned more than I did probably, you know, in a, in a year somewhere else. Yeah. So, um, yeah, absolutely. My highest respect to Dave Finlay. So it's a, for, you know, all the way to this day, one of the top experiences in my pro wrestling career and one of the top learning curves, like I said, inside of 16 minutes. But uh, tell me something, Joe, uh, what is your personal philosophy to pro wrestling? What What is the Joe Cabre OTT philosophy regarding pro wrestling? Uh, I suppose... Um... Just a small one, a small bit would be your content. Um, for me, I just 
you put content out, but you have to realize as well that you're being judged in every bit of content you put out there. Um, and not, not, not necessarily that you're going to be judged in a, in a, in a good way. Um, I suppose that's very important, but it's also very important for me to make sure that I've been putting out a poster, that it's one of the best posters. If I'm putting out video contents for an advertisement, that it's the best I can possibly put it out there. Um, because I remember I used to make promo videos myself and you can go into your uh, Google analytics and you can see when people start to drop off. Mm. And the one thing that kind of rang so true to me was that you really do see, you get back essentially what you put into them. So the more effort you put in, the more you're going to get back. So that's essentially as well, like um, kind of my philosophy is that you will get back what you put into it. If you put into it and you, you give your heart to it, you're going to reap the rewards. If you give it 50% to yourself, you're going to get 50% back, I suppose. And I just really don't see the point in doing something unless you're going to do it 100%. Well, that's kind of biblical because that's what Jesus said in the Bible, that that uh, you you reap what you sow and that uh, in the measure that you give, that, that you meet out to others, it will be met out unto you. So that's, yeah, every, uh, everything is relative. Uh, sorry, I, I mean, I go back to my, I mean, I had a W triad there and I ended up, I was lucky enough to be, to be signed in uh, 2012, but there was absolutely no way that I was going to stand there on that day at a tryout and, uh, you know, think to myself, if I, if I had been a little bit better or I had been a bit better shape or if my promo had been a bit better, maybe they would have signed me. Um, I was kind of convinced that if they didn't sign me, it was because I just wasn't at that time what they were looking for. Um, you know, I just I don't really like having regrets, regrets, I suppose, especially if it's in my own hands. So did you said that you you got signed at that point? Yeah, I was I was in Florida from 2013 to 2000 and early 2014, I suppose. Um, yeah, I just unfortunately just got two bad concussions back to back and oh, geez. It kind of derailed me. Yeah. But then here you are doing over-the-top wrestling that is, uh, I mean, in, in my perspective, I've been to some uh, Rev Pro shows in London because it's, I mean, being from Toronto, it's it's such a daunting idea to fly six hours and go see UK wrestling. But now being in uh, Helsinki, it's a really cheap flight to just pop over to to uh, London for the day and back and, and watch some great uh, UK-British uh, I guess strong style or whatever that they want to call it and see some new Japan talent, world-class guys and gals there uh, taking it to each other. And um, the crowd was great, really good. But the crowds that you guys seem to pull in are just uh, incredible. So, I mean, in a lot of ways, maybe this is what you're supposed to do. So I'm happy uh, in a, and I guess a roundabout way that uh, you, I guess, uh, didn't uh, get in, to the WWE like so fully and uh, you were able to give the world OTT. So thanks a lot. Yeah. I, I, but I mean, even when I was there, I was kind of like looking at all the NXT uh, local events and seeing like, how do they set up for these shows? How are they lighting these shows? How do they, you know, rig their music for these shows? So uh, there was always that kind of promoter element element in me trying to still learn uh, the promoting side of wrestling, even though I was there to be a pro wrestler that, promoter side of me was still kind of looking at how they were you know just doing these pop-up shows and packing them up and onto the next town i suppose just never left me i suppose the promoter side of it 
Well, that's great. I mean, it seems like that's what you're made to do. So, and uh, also, I've noticed on your the website that the School of Irish Wrestling is established 2019. So, yeah, this is a this is a new thing for over the top. This is kind of like your dojo uh, for yeah. OTT. Yeah, um, I suppose it was just a long time coming, and um, we had a gym that we were kind of, you know, kind of had a little corner of a gym, and. Um, but I just kind of fell from my time in the performance center in Florida that we needed something like that uh, in Ireland. Um, so we, we, we did it. Uh, we have a, a ring, two matted areas. It's not the, it's not the biggest school, but um, you know, it's, it's well equipped and we have a promo room. Uh, I think that's something that is very lacking in pro wrestling schools today is, is the art of just, you know, learning promos. Oh yeah. Um, you know, and selling. I think most of the wrestling schools today neglect how important selling is. I think it's the, uh, I remember speaking to Doug Williams about this and it was kind of, the two of us kind of agreed that selling is probably the most important aspect you can have as a pro wrestler. Look at, um, look at Jerry Lawler. Look at dead. Jerry Lawler. <laughs> He's all about the sell. Yeah. One move. It's just the punch yeah. and the sell. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, it's probably the most, it is the most important element you in, in pro wrestling. Um, and it's not the ability to just, you know, if I kick you, you sell that you've been kicked and I sell that I've kicked you. It's also selling who you are as a performer. You know, it goes back to what I was saying about trying to get people invested as to who you are. So when you have a match that they actually care about if you're winning or losing, you know, mm-hmm. um, all that I, I find is just so, so important and it's so neglected. I think wrestling schools today are focused too much on spots and, too much in pro wrestling moves and not enough on, on, on character development and, and the art of selling. Isn't that what William Regal usually says that at the tryouts, uh, what I've heard time and time again from other people is that he'll say, tell me a story. Like when, once you get in the ring with whoever it is that you're going to be uh, doing that tryout match with, that's what he'll be telling you is tell me a, or show me a story. Tell me a story. Absolutely. I, you know what I mean? It's, um, if you go out there and you just, I, I, I said it to the, to some of my students uh, last week. It's when I watch pro wrestling, I don't want to be thinking in the back of my mind, oh, that was a really great spot. I kind of want to just get lost in the pro wrestling match. I want to be taken away and, and, and get, you know, caught up in it. Um, and I think it's hard to do at some points. I think there's some wrestlers out there that are pretty good at it. I look at David Starr and Jordan Devlin and Walter and all those guys and, they're able to, you know, suck you in and, you know, like Bret Hart as well. All those matches, um, they had a story to them, you know. But do you and also think, do you think that there's a, an element, this is my own personal philosophy, just to see if you agree with me or not, but, you know, it's something that, um, I forget who it was back, Dr. Dr. Tom Pritchard actually said back in the day that if it's real to you, it'll be real to them, that if you believe it, they'll, they'll believe it. And the thing is, I think that a lot of guys these days, when they go to wrestling school, they get taught all the moves, they, you know, basically, you know, so you, you, you know your spots and your moves and whatnot, but the thing is that it's just a showcase. It's like, it's, it's not real to you. It's it, the match itself doesn't feel like a matter of life and death. And I think that like Terry Funk, even back in the day said that you have to understand when I'm in the ring and it looks like, when it looks like I'm going crazy, I really am going crazy. When it looks like I'm hurting, I really am hurting. And, uh, I think that's what a lot of guys are missing is that unless you can take it to the edge, almost to the fringe, uh, 
right to the right to the very you know the drop off point. Uh, unless you can take yourself there and and uh, you know live on that the edge of the razor blade for that moment, it's not going to translate to your audience. Well, I totally believe that. Yeah, one hundred percent. I would be very much in the same. And it comes back as well to kind of uh, the selling as well. Like um, you know, if you it, it, going back to Regal as well. I mean, I remember a big thing when them was. Uh, hooking the leg when you make a pin mm-hmm. it's like if you're not hooking the leg you're not conveying to me that you want to win so what was the point in even doing the pin mm-hmm. and he's right you know it's mm-hmm. uh it's all this stuff is is so important and it's unfortunately sometimes and i know the old timers get uh such a, a hard done by when they say the new generation can't sell but i mean i suppose to an extent that they're right you know selling is at times lost in pro wrestling today and it's about being able to tell a great story and it's able to be able to convey that what you're doing is real and uh, that you want to win or that you are crazy or, um, you know, that you do have hatred for your opponent or whatnot. Um, it's just really important, I suppose. Now, I mean, I guess we live in this kind of transition period at the moment where we went through in a way, a phase of this um, hyper-athletic video game wrestling that was uh, extremely popular and showcased the just, I guess, out-of-this-world athletic ability that some of these guys have now that I, I think that, you know, really just hasn't existed uh, before now, like guys like Will Ospreay and Ricochet and, you know, even uh, Prince Devitt or Finn Balor. It's this kind of, like, just... Uh, well, we call it a hyper-athlete, I guess. that mm-hmm. That's the best um, thing that I think, anyway. That, um, But that kind of trans- translated to a lot of this um, spot wrestling, these spot fests. And, you know, and I think that, um, well, there was that classic match, if we call it a classic anyway, the very talked about uh, best of the Super Juniors, was it 2016? I, I can't remember, but Will Ospreay and Ricochet had this um, I mean, incredible athletic match that was was very polarizing for the pro wrestling world. And to me, I have seen now this kind of transition, uh, almost like a wake up from that match to these uh, hyper athletes that um, they they have to sell, they have to tell a story. And uh, what I've noticed from Will Osprey in particular these days is that he is uh, really focused on on selling and. Um, I mean, in a lot of ways, it seems like uh, this kind of old school, you know, Bret Hart versus Roddy Piper kind of kind of mentality is now getting worked in to this new school, uh, I guess, a uh, very athletic style. And uh, I just wanted to to kind of guess get your take on it, and like uh, in terms of booking uh, your kind of shows, uh, you really seem to be focused on this this storyline. Uh, this kind of like um, selling aspect, especially and and not just these like crazy hyper athletic moves. Yeah, I think uh, you you brought up Will Osprey there. Um, I think he's probably one of the most all rounded guys out there at the moment. Um, he's kind of moved away from doing a ton of high flying because he kind of realizes for longevity it's probably not the best best idea. But um, his storytelling, I think, as well, is just amazing, and his selling. Um, I think it's it's he's he's completely um, completely changed his style. I think from them matches that he had with Ricochet. Um, 
Yeah, I, I, I kind of see it. Like, I, I think some people like to watch wrestling and admire the, the athleticism of it all. Um, and maybe it's okay to kind of have one of those matches on the show. But, uh, you know, to me, I would take having a story um, over just, you know, a spot fest. I look at when I, we, we, we did a Will Ospreay versus uh, Walter there um, last October. But hmm. the uh, the match was one of those matches that it was kind of cold. I think, not sure whether many people thought Will Ospreay was going to beat Walter, but um, by the end of it, the two guys were so good and they had such an amazing story that um, the whole arena was on its feet towards, you know, for the last five minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it was just an amazing storytelling by both guys. And, uh, you know, they had the ability to make you believe that maybe Will Ospreay might win the belt. Um, but I think the issue as well today is that with the internet, you kind of know everyone's contractual obligation. You know that everyone's kind of, especially nowadays, I mean, it seems like everyone now has a contract. So um, it does get harder. But I think as wrestling promoters, we have to find new ways to, uh, you know, work around it. Well, that's the thing. Uh, actually, I was going to ask you, because the thing is with OTT, you've got you've got some pretty damn uh, good talent that is coming through. You've got Minoru Suzuki from New Japan. Didn't you just have Jushin Liger there, too? We did, yeah. Yeah, yeah which is amazing to, to have Liger on your show. Is just... No kidding. no And the thing is that you've got Trent Seven, you've got Tyler Bate, you've got Pete Dunne, and, and, and as you mentioned, Walter, people from NXT UK. So you've got some kind of a green light with WWE. Explain how is it that your company, uh, as well as some other companies in the UK, even in Germany like WXW, can use these WWE uh contracted talents and whereas others can't so what's the catch um i suppose for me uh, like yourself i was a pro wrestler for many years and traveled around the world and uh, i always appreciated when wrestling promoters looked after me in terms of they gave me a, a nice ring to work in and mm-hmm. um, you know there's some of those wrestling promoters that will say don't don't bump in the left side of the ring or whatever you know because the the ring isn't great and i just always think that it's 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 you should have a pro a proper pro wrestling ring um i always looked after the guys in terms of hotels i know you've had a hard match and you don't want to be going back to the travel lodge and sleeping on a hard bed nothing is wrong with the mm-hmm. with the travel lodge um and then as well i always kind of made sure that i looked after the guys in terms of you know had a medic um just backstage refreshments and mm-hmm. it became a place as well where most of the guys enjoyed working because they knew they were going to get their money before the show and mm-hmm. um, their flights they weren't going to get any crappy flights because you know i'm trying to save 20 30 euros mm-hmm. um, and they're going to have a decent hotel i mean for me like the the hotel is an extra 40 dollars or something to put them up in a nice hotel mm-hmm. i would have appreciated that when i was touring around Europe as a pro wrestler. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's essentially that the guys kind of said that the we are sorry, OTT was one of the, their favorite places to work. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it turned out that we met all their, um, their kind of credential in terms of booking their talent. You know, you do have to have a medic, you have to have a, you know, your ring has to be of a good standard and things like that. And mm-hmm. that's essentially as to how we got approved as one of the approved as one of the wrestling promoters or sorry, promotions that can, um, use, uh, WUK talents. I think there's maybe five promotions, five or six promotions 
uh, in Europe that are allowed to use WUK contracted talent. Yeah, this but I can really see cool. why some aren't because you know you you've probably seen it yourself. You go to wrestling shows and it's it's not a good working environment, unfortunately. And I do think that's another issue as well with the internet is that especially I see it in the UK, it's just so easy now to rent a ring, um, hire a hall, and essentially now you're a wrestling promoter. And um, I think it's a big issue that's that's happening in the UK. A lot of uh, just want to have a game of wrestling promoters are springing up, and it's um, something definitely I wouldn't want any of my close talents working on those shows. I mean, uh, you kind of bring up this point of uh, having a medic on, on hand and uh, this kind of uh, these kind of safety precautions, where uh, it just comes to light uh, in my head here that we just had a quite a horrible tragedy in in the pro wrestling world in London, England, uh, with the death of Silver King in the middle yeah. of uh, of a match with psychosis, and there was uh, quite a. I mean, I'm not going to name any names, and, and I mean, I'm not blaming anyone, um, but. Uh, there was a lot of talk about uh, that there was not a, a medic, uh, uh, any kind of a medical staff at the show. And um, it's, uh, some people think that it's possible that he might still be with us if, um, if the uh, promotion had, have, uh, I guess, footed the bill for those kind of uh, safety precautions and, and things like that. Me being a, a referee, uh, it definitely sparked the idea that I need to talk to the workers a little bit more about uh, uh, how to go about this whole safety business and uh, making sure that if the match needs to be stopped, then it needs to be stopped immediately and what kind of precautions to take. But um, how how important uh, do you think or did you think it was to have a, a medic, I guess, there on staff, like back in the day? Was it just kind of a thing that was like, of course, there's it's a no-brainer? Or was it like, well... You know, I guess we just need to have one, so let's put one there. No, I think it was kind of my time in in, in Florida, and again, I I was talking to you guys about you know watching how WWE did the uh, the NXT touring shows and looking at their lighting rigs and looking at how they transported things. But the one thing as well that was very clear was that you know the safety was very important, and they had a medic uh, traveling their own uh, team doctor that would would uh, he wasn't a doctor, sorry, he was their team medic that would travel to all the shows. And uh, I suppose when you think about it, like pro wrestling is, is pretty, uh, pretty dangerous industry to be involved in. And I think it's just, I think it's a bit insane in, in, in this day and age that we don't have a medic. I mean, at, at wrestling shows, especially now going back as well to what we were talking about previously, the style of the guys, mm-hmm. the style of the matches that the guys are doing now. Um, you know, a lot of top rope stuff, uh, a lot of dives, um, I just think that it's, you know, you should be responsible and you should have a medic. The other issue as well is that a few years ago, maybe five years ago, we had an Irish MMA fighter who also uh, tragically passed away at a show um, due to the fact that they didn't have sufficient um, medical. Um, and it's just all is essentially unnecessary. It shouldn't have happened. Um, I think you have to have responsibility if you're going to take on the responsibility of being a wrestling promoter, and uh, you should have a medic at your shows, um, especially with the style these days. That's it. So, Joey, uh, you've also been a pro wrestler yourself, so you've got... Uh, do you still wrestle now, or is it just promoting for you? 
for me, I don't know how you feel, but like, because I know you're promoting and, and wrestling at the same time. For me, I just couldn't do both. Mm. Um, for me, I was just so fixed on going to my shows and thinking, okay, does does the the music guy know that this guy is going to do an entrance, and does the lighting guy know when to hit the lights? And it it became uh, became way too stressful for me to do both. So again, as I said, with the crossroads, it was like I'm probably going to have to pick one. Um, and I decided that uh, OTT as a promoter was the place where I was probably needed more. Right, right. But when you were wrestling, now when you were in WWE for that that short spell in Florida, did you actually debut on TV, or was it were you just like in training at that point? No, I was in the performance center and uh, probably got rocked with maybe the first concussion, like maybe three months in. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you know you're you're kind of worked so hard to to get there your entire life, and you kind of know getting a concussion and is not the best start. Um, so I kind of came back maybe a little bit too quickly, and then got my second concussion just on a simple roll up. Oh, that's how when did, I knew. I, how did the first yeah, that's one? That's when happen? I kind of knew I was you know this this might need a lot more time than I than I originally thought. It was just a simple roll up. Um. And I probably wouldn't have even registered. The, the back of my head lightly hit on a roll-up, oh. um, and that was it. I just, it just, the concussion came back. I was back to where I was, and um, at that point, I just, you know, I'd become so disheartened, I suppose, because I had, I'd worked so hard to get there, and I've just spent most of it injured, unfortunately. But uh, the first concussion, how did that come about? It was weird. It was a, it, in my opinion, it was a drill that probably shouldn't have been happening. Um, it involved a heavy bag, uh, crushing my head. Oh, we were geez. just doing some kind of a weird training drill that was probably, I wouldn't say happens now, but uh, yeah, I got a heavy bag, and uh, um, it eff- essentially fell on my head, but it crushed my head, uh, but into the canvas. Essentially, the the heavy bag was thrown and I was to catch it like a cross body, mm-hmm. but it was thrown too hard and too heavy and it came down on my head. Oh, um, but I took a bump with it trying to bring it down to my chest. But unfortunately, it landed on my face. Well, the side of my face, but yeah. kind of crushed my head between uh, the, the heavy bag and the, the canvas. So I was just completely, Oof. you know, when you're out and you, your instincts are like, get up, get up. And I tried to get up and I realized like nothing was working. I was out like, yeah, that's, that's nuts. The thing is, you know, I've, I've had eight concussions in my career. I've never been knocked unconscious. I've been knocked silly. Uh, and I, I don't think I want a ninth. I really, I, I think that eight Do you have any CT fears? I, I, the last time that I went was in 2013 and okay. they didn't find nothing. Luckily, yeah. they didn't find nothing. And I, I hope to God, I hope my guardian angel, I think the good Lord above just set out his angel and, uh, and, and has given me his protection. And I think that's why I'm pretty okay. Uh, but the things yeah. I, I talked to Steve Carino uh, just a few years ago and I asked him, I think it was about 10 years ago, I asked him that, well, how many concussions have you, do you have? He, he said at that point it was 14. Wow. Yeah. And it's the scary part. The yeah. scary part for me was that uh, I used to do some tours with test mm. Andrew Martin. And, uh, you know, he, he was kind of, he was heavy into drugs at the time, unfortunately. Um, you know, but on the second tour, when he came back, he, he was all cleaned up and very kind of coherent and with it. But, uh, when he passed away, I know his brain was, was, uh, diagnosed and he'd, uh, pretty bad CT, which was 
an eye opener because uh, you know to kind of have inter- many interactions with somebody that had CTE, um, you probably wouldn't have known that he had it at the time, I suppose. Now, this day and age, it's pretty interesting to me anyway that um, a lot of these younger wrestlers coming in or even have been for the last maybe 10 or uh, 12 years seem to be, in a lot of ways, it's, I guess it's not uncommon to find somebody who's uh, what you'd call straight edge, not doing any drugs, alcohol, you know, basically um, a very clean body where the, the contrast seems to be not even that long ago, it was... Uh, I mean, it would be just the most common thing that uh, if you didn't do drugs then, or didn't get absolutely wasted, you couldn't be a pro wrestler in a lot of ways. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, I can make the comparisons to the AWR tours that I used to do in, in 2008, um, which would have been a lot of former WWE guys, but the drugs was kind of unfortunately just rampant. But now from 2014 onwards with OTT, I can honestly say that the, the drugs has completely disappeared. I've never been, uh, I don't think I've ever been asked for pain pills um, from any of the indie guys. Um, it's not like a big heavy drinking session either. So the business is definitely, definitely cleaned up a great deal, I suppose. Mm-hmm. So just out of curiosity, Joe, as the promoter of OTT, now, if uh, there are talents out there in the pro wrestling industry that are listening to this podcast that are thinking to themselves, man, I'd really love to go to Ireland and I'd really love to work for that OTT. Tell the people, what is it that you are looking for as a promoter and as the big boss of OTT? What is the criteria that someone needs to have in order to even have a chance to get a booking with your company? Um, I suppose be able to tell a story and be somebody that I can put you in a storyline with and you can gain interest. Um, I suppose there's a ton of guys that can come in and just do nice spots. Um, but true storytellers, I look at a guy like David Starr and he's a true storyteller. Mm-hmm. So, uh, people who can tell stories, people who can sell, um, and I suppose be different. Think about like, why do I need you on my wrestling show? I suppose. Um, what can you offer me as a you know as opposed to everybody else out that's out on the indies at the moment mm-hmm. um but yes to me I, I keep saying it as well selling is just the be all and end all for me so you're looking for some old school philosophy right there yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> sign it me up still exists <laughs> <laughs> old school with the yeah. new school that's it that's yeah. it but uh, you have this uh, huge-looking show coming up here on May 26th, and um, I guess the day after this big Double or Nothing show. So if, uh, I guess, people just need to continue on here with watching some crazy great wrestling from OTT. And it's the uh, show, we were talking about it just before uh, we got you on the phone, but this Ban Jaxed, and uh, we... Uh, we love the name, but have no clue what it means. So, is it some kind of Irish slang that uh, it is? We're not it even is. allowed Ar- to know. An Irish, more <laughs> more of a Northern Ireland uh, kind of slang word. So, yeah. What does it mean? Banjax. It's kind of like broken. Yeah. All right. All right. It I means broken, it. essentially. Yeah. You should have kept it like uh, you're not allowed to know unless you're you're Irish. <laughs> <laughs> but you got some uh, WWE talent coming in for this one. You got you got Walter coming in. You've got uh, Mustache Mountain, and uh, you've got uh, your own boy there. 
You've got uh, Jordan Devlin. Jer- Jordan yeah. Devlin, yeah, that's right. So, uh, and then we don't even have uh, Session up Martina because she's just become such a megastar and she's too uh, too hard to track down. But um, which is amazing to see one of my trainees uh, essentially flying all over the world. I was looking at her schedule, uh-huh. and uh, this year alone, I think she's done America three times. Uh, she's just come back from Australia. Um, she is going to America again for that Starcade thing. And then she is back in Japan in October. So uh, there's a girl kind of living her dream, I suppose, which is, and a friend as well, which is just great to see. So tell me something. How has Session Moth Martina, I never understood the name, to be honest. Explain the name to me first yeah. and then tell me uh, why has she made it? Like how, what is, what is the special thing about Session Moth Martina uh, versus the other girls in the wrestling business as to why now she's catching fire? Um. Okay, so just to explain the name, okay, so uh, if me and you were going on a heavy drinking kind of night tonight, we would say, let's go on a session. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of like the Irish slang word for let's go and, and get absolutely uh, pissed drunk. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, Mott in Ireland is slang word for a girl. So that's why she's like the drink. Essentially, it means kind of like the drinking girl. Uh-huh. Um, I think the reason why she caught is because, uh, you know, she she sells you a lot of her personality, and I think a lot of people like the personality. I think for a long time, I'd look at it the same way as, like, Omen. Uh, I think Omen did well because it wasn't just your standard pro wrestling, uh, pro wrestling wrestler. Um, I think that's what people uh, gravitate to Session Martina because she's just this larger-than-life character. But at the same point as well, She's uh, also a very gifted pro wrestler, and I think that sometimes gets uh, missed in the the kind of you know larger than life personality that she has. But she's uh, she's a really good performer in the ring as well, um, and just so much opportunity lays lays ahead of her as well. So it's an exciting time for her. Right on. I mean, the thing is that um, I, I've only seen pictures of her. I, to be honest, I've never seen her work in the ring, but it's it, it seems like she's really catching fire and, uh, and good for her. I mean, it's honestly, anybody who makes it in the pro wrestling industry, especially nowadays, because you've got so much competition out there. You got, I mean, you're fighting against a huge pool of fish. Yeah. And for you to make it in today's environment, especially with the paydays being cut as badly as they've been. I mean, the thing is so many people working for diddly do squat. Uh, there's, there's, it's, it's really a dog eat dog environment. And to, to fight for those dates coming up in the business nowadays, you've really got to have something special to stand out amongst your peers. So good for her. And, and for those of you who don't know, by the way, uh, when uh, Joe was just talking about Omen, Omen is Joe's own masked character. Explain to the people for a second what what is the Omen character about? Um, I suppose many years ago, I was uh, looking at pro wrestling and just looking at the landscape. And I think there were so many guys out there trying to be the Chris Benoit or, you know, just that straight, you know, pro wrestler. And um, I, I was thinking that there was a lot of, lot of space, uh, especially in Ireland and in Europe, for a over-the-top, larger-than-life uh, kind of gimmick. And... Um, that's how I started to develop uh, Omen, and uh, it's a mask with some wacky hair. It was absolutely hell to wrestle in, but at the same point, you know, I got to travel the world. I got to live, you know, some really unique uh, learning opportunities and life opportunities as well through uh, being Omen. 
Right on. And by the way, for those of you who don't know, and actually there's pretty much, there's a lot of people who won't know this. That we're, so we're going to ba- basically, we're going to, we're going to drop a bomb right now. Um, for Wrestle Aid on June 29th in Rauma, Finland, we're going to have one of Joe's uh, boys coming in for this show. And I want you to tell these people listening here, uh, this, his match has not yet been announced, but he is going to be coming in for this huge event. It's the biggest independent international pro wrestling event in Northern Europe in the summer of 2019 called WrestleAid. Wrestlers from now, 10 different countries will be on hand. Uh, amongst them, for example, uh, Yoshihiro Tajiri from Japan, Eva Lise, and Matt Cross from Lucha Underground uh, coming to the show. Uh, we've got Euron Simmons from Holland coming in. And now from Ireland, just signed one of your boys. Tell us about him, Scotty Davis. Uh, the kid is just a, a prodigy. Um, he had so much, uh, he comes from a, free, a freestyle wrestling background. So uh, he already had kind of had the footwork down. But um yeah, he's caught fire. Uh, Osprey has taken him as one of his uh, young lines as well. So he works a lot with Will Osprey, and I think Will brings him over to do shows. And um, I think this year he's going to finish out this year in a in a really top top position. Um, mm. Just a young kid with so much ahead of him. Um, just an amazing talent. He just he has it. He just gets it. He has the footwork, um, but he works hard as well. Um, he he has that work ethic as well, but just an amazing young talent. I think if you type in as well on YouTube, you might get some free matches as well for him mm-hmm. from OTT. So some of your guys can, uh, some of your fans can get to get a glimpse of what they can expect, I suppose. Yeah, I've got to actually post one of those matches on the WrestleAid webpage so that people can get acquainted with Scotty's work and uh, then just show show the people what Scotty is all about. And I guess he's, what is he, he's 18 years old? Yeah, crazy to think that he's a kid that's only 18 years of age and is able to go out. And I think as well, and maybe we didn't have the same pressure when we were, you know, wrestling, but today the, the young guys have so much more opportunity, but they also have a lot more uh, pressure um, with social media. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I, I keep saying to the young guys as well today is, you know, use social media as a tool mm-hmm. and promote yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, put out good content out there as well. And um, yeah, maybe we'll link up some matches for you guys of uh, Scotty. I know there's one with him and Jordan Devlin against the uh, Aussie Open mm-hmm. that we have up on our channel for free, which is uh, which is quite amazing as well. But you'll get a glimpse as to what you can expect. Awesome. So on that kind of note, tell us how people can learn about OTT. And uh, and I guess there's uh, if you're outside of Ireland, the, the best ways is on the internet and uh Give us kind of like the rundown of where they can find information about over-the-top wrestling. So uh, our main website is ottwrestling.com. You're going to find a link there that brings you to our on-demand service. And I suppose with our on-demand service, you're not kind of just buying a subscription service to see our content. You're also supporting uh, indie wrestling, which I suppose is very important. Um, So, yeah, we have OTT on-demand. you can see all our past shows, and if you subscribe, you get all our future shows. And then I suppose just through uh, social media, uh, we're on Instagram, on Facebook, we're just Over the Top Wrestling, and on Twitter, we are OTT underscore wrestling. So by the way, Joey, what is your platform for your uh, subscription service? 
for the on we're just uh, we just use the pivot share which is which is a good platform to be on because you're able to share content with other uh, wrestling promotions so mm-hmm. essentially if you sign up to our OTT on demand you can also see as I mentioned the entire catalog of OTT but we also got some of uh, the ref pro wrestling shows up um, we have a partnership with AAW as well in the states uh, we have some of their content and uh, pro wrestling Eve as well in, mm-hmm. in the UK so um you're not just getting OTT content. There's also other promotions up there. Nice, nice. But, Joey, thank you so much for your time today here on Shooting the Shizad. It's been a blast talking to you. Congratulations for all of your success with Over the Top Wrestling. And uh, we'll hopefully catch up with you in the future. And uh, maybe, if we're lucky, make it all the way down to Ireland or up to Ireland and uh, catch up. All right? Yeah, it's been a pleasure. And I'm... Uh keeping my eyes peeled as well for what you guys coming up and what you guys have uh, coming up in store. It's, it's uh, quite exciting as well. I like your, your videos. Hey, thank you very much. All right, Joey, God bless you. And uh, we'll catch up with you later. Thanks a lot, Joey. Thanks guys. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Estrada Creative Helsinki, your brand and story with the strength of modern marketing. Social media gets your brand and message in your audience's hands, and your story with the boost of marketing and videography is your strongest means of persuasion. That's where Estrada Creative Helsinki gets involved. Check them out on Facebook at facebook.com slash Estrada Creative Helsinki. Marco Simonen offers photography and video production for business and marketing. In addition, Editorial and portrait work welcome. For more, see marcosimonen.com. That's M-A-R-K-O-S-I-M-O-N-E-N.com. So that was Joe Cabray, the, the big boss, the head promoter, and the creative mind behind OTT Over the Top Wrestling out of Ireland, Dublin, Ireland. And, uh, well, Joey, I'll tell you what, Dylan, if somebody's obviously put six months of his life into just make it or break it. Let's see what happens if I give like my all, give everything that I got to this and make it, uh, make it go for broke. I mean, it just goes to show that if you close out all other options, there is no plan B. You only Mm. have plan A. It's kind of like what, uh, I think it was Arnold Schwarzenegger said, uh, some time ago that, when he came to America, he only had plan A. Mm-hmm. If you want to be successful in anything in life, you, you have to completely forget about plan B. Yeah. You, ha- you must only have plan A and then just go for broke. Yeah, and then Yoda also said, there is only do, there is no try. So There you go. <laughs> I, I probably botched the, the, uh, the quote, but either way, you get the idea. And I, I really respect... These kind of guys like yourself and uh, Joey here who literally, I think that's actually the only way to do it. The the, the longer I live, the older I get, it, it seems as though the only way, uh, unless you're that one in six, seven billion that uh, gets lucky, the only way to really live your dream is uh, to just give it every every ounce that you have and like 300 times more. So, and, uh, people who can do that, I mean, there, that is like maybe what, like one, 2% of the population of the earth, I think it seems, you know. Well, the thing is that, you know, the number one thing nowadays 
like we talked about last week here on shooting the Shizette, you know, everybody's so offended nowadays mm. and everyone is so like, they're so entitled. And in the process of being so PC and so, you know, uh, progressive in their thinking and their doing and whatever they think that they're getting, getting done or achieving, people have actually become incredibly lazy. Yeah. That's a big thing. It is. It is. And the thing is that with this sense of entitlement, like you're expecting that the world or the universe owes you a freaking favor and they, and you know, nobody owes you anything. You have to earn your stripes in, in life, in business, in the world. So therefore, just like Joey was saying here, that you get out of it, what you put into it. Exactly. You know, in the same measure, you put 50% in it, you're going to get 50% out. Hmm. You know, you give a hundred percent, you're going to get a hundred percent. You give 120, you get 120. There you go. And I think, you know, it's the same thing that I, I saw the same thing with uh, Slam Wrestling Finland's mega launch, because the thing is for three plus months, three and a half months, almost four months, nonstop, seven days a week from morning till night at 12 o'clock at night, I would usually finish on average and I would not stop. It was, I was so close to burning out a couple of times. I was so tired, but I gave it everything that I had so that there would be no regrets at the end of the day. And it paid off. Yeah. And, and that's the whole thing that the people got to realize that you've got to give everything. You can't just give, you know, uh, any, like put it this way. There's a saying that the things in life that you really want, like the things that you, you're absolutely sold on mm. those things you will get the things that would be nice to have. You'll never get. Mm. Yeah. You know, so yeah, it'd be cool to have that. No, you're never going to get that. Mm. Never, ever. So hats off to, to Joe Cabre for the absolute success of OTT. They're drawing thousands upon thousands to their shows. Any independent promotion that draws over a thousand people in general. Consistently. Consistently is already a success. Yeah. So anyway, that said, uh, let's change gears here. Switch over to uh, the other news in the wrestling world for just a moment as we close out this week's edition of Shooting the Shazette. We've got WWE going back to Saudi Arabia again. I guess that's a yearly thing now. And, and I um, think for the next 10 years. There you go. Once a year for 10 years, <laughs> at least I, once a year. Apparently they make uh, more, if not the same money of a WrestleMania I think it's more than WrestleMania they make off of this one show. Well, I'll tell you what. For them to bring back Bill Goldberg now. Goldberg on... versus The Undertaker. Exactly. And and I don't know what to expect here. Because the thing is that both of these guys are past their prime. Um, yeah, well. I mean, and the the thing is, these are very respectable people. But when if you're a pro wrestler and you, I guess, uh, I mean, some can argue about Goldberg that maybe he didn't uh, come up in the right way, but you got to respect the guy and uh, the Undertaker, of course. I mean, but I saw him move in the last match that he had and I was feeling really sorry for him that he was, it almost seemed like, why would you let the guy do it? You yeah. know? Yeah. So, well. Well, there's money. You know, money, the things, money, money. yeah, we're talking about like big names. So like, once again, WWE needs to actually, they got to really get on the ball with building the guys that they have, the newer guys now, the guys that, that have been in the company for, let's say the past 10 years or under 10 years. A guy like Sheamus has been there now for like 10, you know, Kofi's been there for like 11. Um, you know, you've got Finn Balor and people like that, that have been in the company for a few years, five, six years, 
seven years, whatever. Uh, and they need to build these people up to the point that they can carry the ball so that you're not going to have to rely on the guys from yesteryear, like from these different eras, like let's say the attitude era and bring back the legends in this case. Uh, it's not a problem if they can still go, if they can still produce on that top level. But when these guys, it's just the thing with, you know, life in general, that when you get past the age of 50, you're not going to be moving about the ring, uh, like a guy 20 years younger. You're just not. Yeah. Uh, and that's just life. I mean, well, okay. When I wrestled Dave Finlay in, in Tokyo, Japan, back in November of 2011, Dave was 51 and I was 38 and he ate me alive. Yeah. He just like guzzled me inside of 16 minutes. And the, the condition that he was in was, it was just, it was scary. That's a special type of person though. It, it is. It's a Teflon kind of wrestler is what it is. Those are Dave's words, by the way. I asked, so does anything hurt on your bodies? No, I made out of Teflon. Yeah. <laughs> so there you go. But anyway, do you know any other matches that are now, that have been announced for this uh, uh, Saudi Arabia card? I mean, it seems as though this super showdown, which uh, they, it seems to be a reused name, actually. They used this for, like, what was it, for some Australian event? I can't remember, but... Uh, yep, last year. So... Um, although it had a hyphen in between showdown, but, uh, I guess, so now this is a completely different name. Mm-hmm. Triple H versus Randy Orton. It seems as though this is going to be there and a 50 man battle Royale with cheese, I'm sure. But, uh, the predictions are that it most likely will be Seth Rollins, uh, with the universal championship against Brock Lesnar. Mm-hmm. The WWE Championship match with uh, Kofi Kingston as champion versus Kevin Owens. Mm-hmm. These are not uh, set in stone yet. These are predictions. Mm-hmm. Again, and Roman Reigns and The Miz versus uh, Shane McMahon and Elias. Odd, but uh, I guess that's what they're going with at the moment. But um, as I said, those are predicted matches that seem as though that's what they're working towards at, at the moment. Mm-hmm. You know... Uh, I guess you get what you pay for and they're paying for whatever the hell they want over there mm-hmm. and they want Goldberg and Undertaker, you know, they want Triple H and Randy Orton. They just want, uh, a lot of wrestling. I, I watched the last, or at least bits and pieces, or I can't remember did I watched the whole thing, but there was a lot of people not interested in what was going on in the ring. Mm-hmm. They were just there because, hey, this is... This is awesome. The WWE is, you know, we have American pro wrestling here. Mm -hmm. We're very progressive. Mm -hmm. And uh, it just seemed like, I don't know. It's so obvious. It's so obvious all about the money. Money. Yes. Makes the world go round. You know, the thing is, there was a movie back, it was in the early 70s. I think it was, it was called Network. Right. Yeah. And and, and the, the world is a business. You got to watch that movie. If you haven't seen it, by the way, watch it. It's so prolific. It's almost prophetic because that's exactly how the world works. Ladies and gentlemen, there is no such thing as justice, by the way. If you're looking for justice, it's only in the movies and it's in your imagination. There's only business and who business actually profits at the end of the day. But that's my diatribe for today. And a reminder that, uh, by the way, money in the bank The next WWE pay-per-view will be held this coming weekend on Sunday. Hmm, So therefore, we'll be talking about the Money in the Bank 
post wrap up and uh, the analysis of the matches on next week's shoot in the Shizat. So uh, that's what's on the menu for next week. But nonetheless, for those of you also now in the Finland area or in the surrounding countries like Sweden, Estonia, even Russia, even Norway, why not even Iceland? I gotta, yeah. We got to remind you that on June 29th, we have Wrestle Aid. Slam Wrestling Finland presents WrestleAid. Wrestlers now from 10 different countries will be on hand. It was originally 8, and it has grown to 10. Ladies and gentlemen, it's going to be huge. It will be live, shown on ISTV streaming. And uh, tickets are now available through Ticketmaster Finland. The Japanese buzzsaw Yoshihiro Tajiri coming to WrestleAid from Japan. That's huge. Also coming, Eva Lise from Puerto Rico, one of the top female stars out of North America today. In addition to that, Shanna from Portugal coming back, the Queen of Southside. We have got Sadie Gibbs coming from the UK. We have got, we just talked with Joe Cabrera about one of his boys, Scotty. Scotty. Young That's right. Scotty. That's right. That's going to be, that is going to be awesome, you know, being under the wing of Will Ospreay. Oh, you absolutely. Know, I'm really excited actually to see how this guy can can move in the ring because uh, the praise that he's received so far, 18 years of age. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, what's his full name again? Scotty Davis. Scotty mm-hmm. Davis, yeah. Um, that, you know, this is going to be this is going to be great. I'm excited to see because, I mean, who, I guess you haven't done the the booking yet or at least announced it, so I'm, I'm not going to pull it out of you just yet, but I'm excited to see who is uh, he going to face. Uh, when he gets here, but well, the uh, thing is, I mean, he's got championships, by the way, in freestyle wrestling ah. in in both Ireland and in England. So this guy's no joke. You know, from the age of thirteen, he's been wrestling already, and from the age of six, actually, he's been wrestling. But as a pro since the age of thirteen, yeah, wow, gee, Willikers, yeah, yeah, exactly. You. And the only eighteen-year-old wrestler, to my knowledge, uh, wrestling full time around Europe, mm, really, which. You know, goes to prove that uh, there's something special about this guy, Scotty Davis, coming to WrestleAid. Also on the show, we have got we got Matt Cross, the son of Havoc from Lucha Underground. He'll be on uh, WrestleAid on June 29th at WrestleAid. In addition, Euron Simmons, the big man from Holland, Amsterdam, coming to WrestleAid. Man, this card is just stacked. Then the female, not the female talents, I just gave them to you just a second ago. Yeah. The Finnish talents that uh, will be also at WrestleAid. Amongst them, Stark Adder, awesome. Tony Tamminen, mm. Heimo the Wild Man, Ukon Selika. We got myself, the Rebel Starbuck. You can count me in as a Canadian, though. <laughs> <laughs> either way. Either way. Don't matter. By, by way of. By way of. That's right. We, yeah. But anyway, so 10 countries. Other matches are going to be still announced. Go to WrestleAid.fi on the internet. Also to SlamSports.eu. And get your tickets right now, ladies and gentlemen, through Ticketmaster.fi. Punch in WrestleAid. You will find the event there for June 29th in Rauma, Finland. That's on the west coast of of Finland, beautiful township, beautiful place. And we are raising money with this show for the Finnish Muscular Dystrophy Foundation for those suffering from ALS and from Duchenne Muscular Dystrophy. These are terrible, terrible diseases that deteriorate the body and render a person uh, before long, of course, dead, but uh, in incapacitated before that day comes. One of my co-promoters for this show has Duchenne muscular dystrophy. His name is Riku Forström, and Riku 
has is turning uh, the age of 40, the grand age of 40 this summer. And by the way, for those of you who don't know, Duchenne muscular dystrophy patients usually only live max until 26. Yeah, well. He's outlived his life expectancy by 10 years. So if you come to WrestleAid and buy a ticket, you are not only supporting the top independent professional wrestling in Europe today. You are supporting the Finnish Muscular Dystrophy Dystrophy Foundation and their work in helping ALS and Duchenne Muscular Dystrophy patients to partake in sports while their condition still allows for it. That's a very noble cause. Therefore, do yourself a favor, come and enjoy the greatest wrestling to be seen in Northern Europe on June 29th and also support the Finnish Muscular Dystrophy Foundation. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, this week for hanging in there with us here at Shooting the Shizat. Next week, we will be wrapping up and also running through the card that was Money in the Bank. <laughs>